Hello Rebels, before we kick off today's episode, let me ask you a question. What if we could help you unlock your marketing superpower in one day or less? Actually, to be precise, I mean three hours. Yes, you heard it right. What I'm asking you is three hours of your time to join us for a brand new intensive experience on Marketing Deep Dive. One day masterclass that will help you create marketing strategies that capture hearts and mind. And every single masterclass is going to dive deep into one of our favorite topics of marketing. Maybe that email marketing, hiring, or even automations and beyond. If you want to get the fast track ticket to become irresistible, then I suggest you check out our upcoming marketing deep dive, where you're going to get two hours of hands-on training with lots of exercises and practical group work as well. Plus one hour bonus office hours and Q&A. Oh, and we also have a personalized dashboard and bonus templates to help you apply what you learn in our three hours. And just to put a little bow on it, you also get a certificate of completion to show up wherever you can see. If you'd like to find out what is coming up next and which one is our next marketing deep dive, all you have to do is go to amschool.click slash masterclass. There you'll be able to find our schedule with our upcoming masterclass for you to join. On with today's show. Hey, Marketing Rebels, it's Fab here, your marketing BFF and head teacher at Oak Marketing School, a modern school teaching you how to market to hearts. And together, we'll share the freshest news, tactics, and insights you simply can miss each and every week. And today, by the power of time traveling minus the TARDIS, I am joined by the one and only Sabbath Lewis. And just in case you're wondering, yes, that was a Doctor Who had reference there, because I actually am a huge Doctor Who fan. And dear listener, if you are too, please let me know which Doctor is your favorite. But let's go back to my time and traveling experience, where I'm going to take you to a journey to meet the fantastic Sarah Beth Lewis, to talk about outcome-centric product strategy. And yes, we're looking at Sarah Beth as one of the product managers at AppSumo. And her work focuses on growth, A-B testing, building zero to one products with AI even, but also fostering community engagement and understanding how your customers and users think. So if you're thinking, Fab, why am I going to listen to a whole panel and conversation which happened in December, about products. What's in it for me? Then wait on. Because as a marketer, understanding how product works and also understanding the intersection between products and product marketing and marketing as a whole will bring a lot of haha moments, including some of my favorite conversations around concepts like jobs to be done, trigger events, and even some interesting elements of audience and market research. Without further ado, I will leave you now to the wonderful replay of this event that we've run in December. Just to start the year right and just to keep you waiting until we're back with our amazing roundups with our fantastic co-hosts and more fantastic interviews. In the meantime, I hope you enjoyed today's episode and may today's class begin. Today's mission. Okay, so we're going to focus on different aspects of product and marketing, the intersection of both. First of all, learn how to build strategies that are rooted in solving genuine customer problems, which we are huge fans at all marketing school, being, you know, doing what we do. Also foster seamless collaboration between product and marketing teams. And you can learn so much for any kind of team, I would like to add. And oh my God, yes, manage expectations when it comes to timelines, when it comes to marketing, when it comes to, you know, products and development of that. We're really going to go deeper into this conversation together. So without further ado, I'm going to let her introduce herself. Hello and welcome. Sarah Beth, tell us a bit more about your experience and why you're here today. Yes. Well, thank you, Fab, so much for having me. I'm happy to join here. So I, I, I guess introducing myself, I started as a copywriter and ran a copywriting agency with my partner for four years. 
And that was great. It was a great experience. Freelance life is a great life. It allowed us to travel and enjoy a lot of things. And about 2019, I started to see, I really like to look at the cutting edge of kind of what's you know happening in my field. And I noticed something called UX writing or content design. And it seems like this intersection of writing and product, which is like, you know, engineering and product design, building things, you know. And so I, I started to transition. I did a UX design training and then I got some clients and I started kind of primarily freelancing in UX design and UX uh, uh, writing. And then one of my clients, AppSumo in 2021, poached me from the family business and I, I went full time with them. Uh, and there, our head of product, he kind of roped me into trying product management. And I said, okay, I'll try it like a preliminary test because I, I, you know, it was kind of new to me, but product managers lead through persuasion. I don't manage anyone, but I am responsible for the outcomes of different initiatives and work with the team to pitch initiatives to our leadership and then make sure we hit those outcomes on a quarterly basis. So it's very fun. It's, it's challenging, but I've been doing that and just got promoted to product manager a few months ago. So I've been enjoying it. So that's kind of a bit about me. Can I ask you a question that goes straight into being me? Everybody that knows me will be not surprised. Straight into a tangent. Yes, we go there. But it's not really because you mentioned like obviously the change in the shift that you've made. And in order for us to talk about also think a product perspective, knowing that marketers have different levels of understanding and some of us will have to wear all the hats. Some of us will actually have to work with other people within the teams for the hats. What was the main surprising element or the main standout aspect of this shift for you based on the fact that if people don't know exactly who, what AppSumo is and what they do, obviously AppSumo is not only there's a product within what AppSumo does, but there's also an element of products that the platform as a as a yep. market, marketplace, you can actually tell us a bit more about that if not people are not familiar with AppSumo does as well. I think there's a very interesting connection between the fact that there's the products, but then also AppSumo is all about other products as well. And there's so many elements of the clients that go from the B2B to the B2C aspect. So yeah, anything that stood out for you when you did the transition from just a copywriter and being part of the copy team to actually be inside and understanding how the product works? Yeah, so much. I think it's so right that these definitions are very, very helpful. So First off, AppSumo, it's a marketplace for lifetime deals on software. And so we have some of our own products. I don't work on those, but you're right. Our whole, it's like Amazon. There's SKUs, there's different products that we sell on the platform. Um, working on the product team. Um, so it's like, if you're working on AppSumo's marketing team, right? You're promoting across different channels and you're, you know, building, you know, kind of doing that marketing work on, on product. We're building the site. We're making sure that it's, you know, alive and, you know, we, their servers don't go down. We're optimizing all kinds of things across, you know, our product pages, our homepage. We're building elements. We're building with AI. Um, and so this is like working with product designers to design, you know, largely in Figma and then handing that off to developers where they like implement it and build it in React or in our backend languages. So when I say I, I work in product, I mean kind of the product is our e-commerce site. And so I love that. And I think that kind of leads into then understanding how product teams and marketing teams can work together, especially when, as I mentioned, so many of us will start with an idea of if you're a smaller team or if you even create your own product all by yourself, whether it's a website, whether it's an e-commerce site or whether it's just actually a product. And the thing is like when we are scaling, we find it again, letting go of some things. And especially when the product becomes so complex that has different elements and for example, if you're in the tech space, in the case of AppSumo, we are two things, partners and customers. I've been buying from AppSumo forever. So just to give you context about our own experience with it. So, you know, you have your own account for AppSumo. So there's the login element. There's, you know, there's an intersection of different things that I want to kind of reiterate again to understand really the way of being part of the product team, whether you are your product team or you are starting to get people to help you. There's the intersection between that and also the customer service and all of these teams work together. And the interesting thing is that we always find that the marketers are the most excitable people. Shout out to any marketer in the house. We want to talk about all the things. We want to share all the things that are happening, but can also be hard sometimes to understand how to align with actually what is going on and what should we spotlight right now that has changed or that has improved or that has shifted and how should we coordinate kind of conversations that are happening so 
basically, to give us even more context, just if people are dipping their toes into the, this kind of conversation, can you think of a situation where, you know, the alignment between the products of the marketing team was crucial, whether it was a launch of a new product, inside product, or a new feature app, Sumo, just to give us an example of what it actually feels like. Yeah. Oh, there's so many. I, I was talking about like sort of how to answer this question, but um, what comes to mind is we, about a year ago, started looking at new user onboarding and we had a clear outcome that we wanted to increase new buyer conversion rates. So someone who's not logged in lands on AppSumo. We want to convert more of them to buying products or at least giving, you know, email as we know, email capture, right? It's always good to build that email list. So um, we started really looking at that. And at AppSumo, we do something, it's pioneered by AJ and Smart, but they're called design sprints. And the coolest part about design sprints is it allows us to get stakeholders or people from all over the company in the same room. And we go through a series of exercises to understand what is the problem, what is the space in the user experience that we want to focus on. And then basically we do like lightning demos where we show how other sites solve these certain problems within this area in the user experience. Um, and so we'll show how Slack does it, how LinkedIn does it, you know, all these different, sometimes it's really random um, and fun to see what colleagues come up with, but we'll have marketers in there. We'll have customer service, we'll have partner success. And those are my favorite ones. So um, to speed it up, we we started looking at customer onboarding and we got through a design sprint and we were sort of noodling on, on this sort of onboarding experience and talking with our CTO, we realized there was a real opportunity to integrate AI w- within this, this sort of experience. And so we <laughs> kicked off, basically it was a 10 week cycle where we went from zero to one on um, an alternative to our search bar that was powered by AI. And so the the goal was to get to sort of have a 10% off coupon, a typical, you know, sort of carrot on the end of the stick for a new buyer. Um, but to say, go through this experience and you can actually type in not like an SEO tool or, you know, an outreach tool or a link shortener, but you can ask for something very specific for your business and kind of have a conversation with the AppSumo database of products to try to find a deal on a, on a piece of software that works best for you. And so, you know, if you add to cart, you get that 10% off. And so it was crucial to work with marketing on this. We, we actually worked with them. You know, our designers were, were building sort of the experience, but we really wanted to have a visual identity for, and sort of branding, but we had to work very quickly. And so kudos to, you know, the creative side brand designers on getting all of that created. And then we collaborated on a product hunt launch as well. So we launched on product hunt. That was a great experience to get that like community feedback and upvoting and everything we do at AppSumo, pretty much everything we, we launch on the site, we A-B test. And so in this case, you know, you pick your, your North Star metric. So for us, it was new buyer conversion rate. And the whole initiative, I think our goal was like um, two to 3% increase in new buyer conversion rate. Um, but we blew it out of the water, like together with with the marketing team and all the promotion and the 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 leads they sent our way. I think we ended up with like a 24% increase in new buyer conversion rate as a, a result of this product that now lives on the site and new and returning users can can use it and we we hope to build on it. So it was very fun, I think, collaborating with marketing, seeing them, you know, get those assets ready and sort of go to market, especially kind of getting everything we needed for that product hunt launch was very exciting and um, I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. And what I love that you mentioned Product Hunt as well. And I think what I find it as, like obviously Product Hunt being a platform where you can share new products, new softwares, but I've seen as just like you explained, more and more uh, SaaS and software companies and and obviously B2B and tech spaces, just kind of sharing, Mm -hmm. finding as a more structured way to share and build in public the new features. And I think that's been really fascinating to see then the product team being at the at the forefront of reminding everybody else, we need to talk about this. We need to actually use it as something that we can share and we can learn from and we can ask the community what they're excited about and what we can improve. And it has become a very collaborative experience, I find. Um, and I wanted to hear your opinion on that, especially using like a platform like Product Hunt to build this version of, you know, like an individual will build in public by sharing like the product they have in mind or maybe the product they are creating or some of the things they want to change. And I find that obviously when you are a bigger entity with more people at play, with more entities at play, with more humans at play, 
is finding that way to still do share that update with your inside community. So have you found the product hunt works works for that? I think so. Yeah. I mean, it can be hard. It can be sometimes a vanity metric to feel like, okay, we got this many upvotes or you know, we were number two or number three for the day. But ultimately, I think one of the, the main benefits of Product Hunt is you can get to that MVP and level of fidelity. Like I said, like, I think if we hadn't have had that, like, launch, we might have, you know, like dragged our feet on some of the like marketing assets or, yeah, like kind of getting that message clear. And like, specifically for me coming from a copywriting background, you know, I wrote go to market documents about how we want to position, ask Sumo, and then handed those over to marketing. And I think having them like refine the messaging of how we want to position the product was a very valuable experience to me. And it's always this dance, right, of like features and benefits, like the more you're in product, right, (laughs) you kind of want to talk about, hey, this is, you know, AI. And actually, interestingly enough, so a lot of product like management is putting on an MVP and then iterating on it. And so this this came up for us because we had Ask Sumo out for new buyers with that 10% off coupon, but return buyers, we couldn't figure out where to put it on the site. We tested several different places. It wasn't helping conversion rate. We were a bit at a loss because we were like, this product is great. Like what, you know, what, what gives? And finally worked with one of our developers to put a little element in our browse pages and what we ABC tested the copy. And what we found is the copy that mentioned AI failed. Like AI powered search, that's a feature. It's not a benefit. And so what we found is is the, you know, the copy today, which is much more just a benefit. It's like search up sumo and you know, find products that you're looking for. I want to find the exact wording now because I'm curious. Can't find what you're looking for? Search alternatives on Ask Sumo. It doesn't even mention AI. And so I think just being reminded of that marketing thinking of lead with the benefit, you know, the feature <laughs> doesn't really matter. It's not about how many megabytes in the iPod. It's about, you know, a thousand songs in your pocket. So That's a great example. And we do use it with our students. So if any student is watching live or replay, you will remember this from the certification because we mentioned that that example. And it kind of goes back to what you mentioned a few times about your copywriting background. And this is a bit of a deeper question into what you just talked about now, which is how, okay, this is a tricky one. Sorry, but he's like, we're already asking on the question that you wasn't into the brief. I know, but you get gold, so gold with gold, right? But yeah, what I'm thinking is you talked about obviously how also your understanding knowledge of copywriting can, you know, helps as well, because then you can bring that thinking. How important do you think having already that knowledge and being your background for a product, you know, somebody in the product team to actually have an understanding of this kind of almost like product psychology and like the audience psychology and the copywriting piece. Is it important for them to have that? Is this then a defini- um, sorry, a difference between a product manager and a product marketing manager? Or would you just say that you find that that's where you work with the marketing team? Because I think this is really interesting. Like if you want to better yourself or if you want to, you know, advance when it comes to the product manager experience, is it something that you think it's standout, it's important, or you find that actually the marketing team would usually fit within this conversation? Because I think it's really interesting. Sometimes people cannot see or understand what, you know, product marketing manager, is it a marketer? You know, is it not? Where does it lay? Yeah, what is that? Yeah, that's such a good question, Fab. Like, I I feel like, like, right off the bat, I think learning how to copyright, like, especially in an AI world, it can feel maybe a little defeated. Like, I'll just plug it in chat GPT and that'll give me all the answers. But learning how to copyright, I, I still firmly believe it is one of the best skills you can have. And I'm so glad to hear that you have that example in all marketing school. That's like gold, you know, is you really pushing yourself to like think of the benefit. And I think that's one place where it ties into like product work so tightly is because these things come from users, right? It comes from review mining, where you look at reviews of a product and understand what is the pain points really solving? Like, what is the actual benefit of this thing? Um, How can we emphasize that? So I think that's one part of it. This is a useful skill. It translates. It helps me every day. I have to write a lot, um, even though I also use ChatGPT a lot in my work. And that that critical thinking and and user-centric thinking, like it translates everywhere. And it should translate everywhere, no matter where you go. Support, CEO, you know, from any anywhere in between, like it's good stuff. So the other question is product marketing and a product marketing manager. 
There's like a two-part answer to this. One is if you're on a smaller team and you're a product manager, you're probably also doing product marketing. I wear a lot of hats at AppSumo. We're very entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial, small team. And so I do things that aren't in my job description like all the time, like QA, like trying to find bugs in the, you know, like I help with that as well as the product marketing stuff. So I think it's just nice that I have that background. Um, but yeah, I think product marketing is is very much about like, you could think about it like this. The product team is working hard to deliver value to users, right? Not only are we keeping the site up, you know, we're eliminating bugs, we're, we're st- we stay vigilant, we have people, you know, on call 24 seven to make sure things are up and running. Uh, but we also, you know, do product development to understand what are our user needs, what does the company want, and then we build things, hopefully, you know, help make users happy and hit the outcomes that the company wants. And so uh, if we don't share about like what we're doing, if we launch Ask Sumo and don't tell Soul, you know, if we like we're making changes to questions and reviews and and are launching profiles and I, I need to work with my marketing counterparts to get that message out. And so, yeah, I think a product marketer, you know, on, on teams that have them, we don't have a dedicated function at AppSumo, but um, bigger teams definitely do. I think that that's the responsibility. It's the go-to-market. It's that last bit of the process where, you know, if a tree falls in the woods and no one hears it, did it make a sound? Like if we built something really, really cool and valuable and users don't know about it, did it matter? Is it really going to help the business? And so getting that go-to-market to happen and keeping the business fresh and alive. I mean, if you change something, you need to change your your documentation, right? Your help documentation. You need to make sure that you know, for us, we have a two-sided marketplace. So partners and customers are notified about something. So it's just, yeah, part of of that awareness and also, you know, driving that action and outcome that, you know, is the goal of the initiative. I love that. And I love that, you you know, you allowed us to break down as well on understanding of how product and marketing teams can work together and sometimes how that role overlaps, which was where I wanted to kind of dive deeper into because once again, if you're starting smaller and then you're thinking about the help and the support you need is understanding what are you building. MVP, you mentioned it a few times, just in case people that are watching or listening and they're not sure what this means is obviously minimum viable product. So, you know, even when you're building the MVP, that first iteration or whatever you want to share with the world, it's just understanding how everything kind of comes together, which I absolutely love. And um, now, before I actually go back into something that you mentioned, which I'm super interested about to cover a bit more, which is the outcome element and obviously problem and outcome driven strategies, I want to show a little pool on stage. Peeps, hello. So if you're watching live or replay, if you're watching this, you will be able to see that. We wanted to get from you a bit of the pulse of where you're at. So I will see what is your main challenge when it comes to product marketing. So honestly, we're looking at you know, the product element and the marketing element. But if we were to think about the intersection of both of them, what are some of the things that are really coming up to you? We're going to cover a lot of this as well going forward in the next couple of questions. But I just wanted to get an understanding. So if you are actually with us today and you want to vote, you actually can vote in the pool. So love the fact that we have consistent messaging as something that came up as well, which is, I think, really interesting because it will probably go back to the next point that we're going to cover, which is the understanding of that outcome-driven conversations as well. And also, not surprisingly, the customer needs and understanding your customers, which is really interesting because actually, you know, you can keep on voting, we'll keep an eye out, I'll give us a few more seconds. We're not going to close the poll, but we're just going to hide it again. But I really love that intersection of the, let's say, just the product kind of base skill and the almost user experience element. And then the marketing comes back with both of these aspects that are important for both the messaging, but also understanding your customer needs. And Sarabeth mentioned review mining. So I'm pretty sure we're going to go back to the understanding of user feedback. But before that, obviously, if you're going to vote again, we'll see currently we have 50-50 on customer needs and consistent messaging, which is really interesting. And to kind of go back to that point, I wanted to ask you actually about defining the outcomes and the problems. How do you actually make sure that now that you're in the product team, you are creating a product that is aligned with that, you know, addressing those customer problems and those desired outcomes. So basically understanding your audience's needs and the audience's problems and pain points. How do you make sure that what you're developing is aligned with that? And how do you work with other people in your team to make sure that that happens? This is such a great question. Um, I think 
coming from a more like freelance context of, you know, freelance marketing, a lot of times work went like this. It's like, hey, we need this thing, right? We need a landing page. And the goal of landing page is to convert people, but we need a landing page. And so my job is to write a landing page that converts people. And that is an output, right? That's like, I'm building X asset, right? And in my move to, uh, and so it's like, it's like we have this idea, we need to execute on it, right? And my move to product, um, I was just talking to my other colleague, Dean, who also moved, his name's Dean Young. He moved from um, managing our blog and being on the marketing team to also being a product manager at AppSumo. And he was saying the big difference between marketing and product is that with marketing, you have an idea and you implement it and you test it there. And that it's kind of like boom, boom, right? It's like, we have this idea and then here's the deliverable and then see if it works. With product, you have to validate on the front end. And so like, because handing something off to our developers, it's expensive, right? If you have all these developers working on something, it better, you know, be validated. It better be something that is where, you know, we're pretty confident that it's going to work. And so a lot of, you know, what I do is basically understand from the business, like what they're trying to drive. So like I said, a year ago, it was new buyer conversion rate. We heard that from Noah Kagan, our CEO. He made that really clear. We have an OKR process, so objectives and key results, um, where we set OKRs. There's an objective, like convert more new buyers. And the key result is, you know, increase in new buyer conversion rate. And we we typically keep it simple at AppSumo, our OKR process. And you can learn more about that if you just Google OKR. Okay, there's a ton online. And I'm sure, you know, your course or the things you, you talk about that. But but yeah, so I, I kind of get that mandate from the business and I kind of know, okay, these are the high level things that we want to drive. And then it's my job to, as a, as a product manager, to be talking to users, right? And so I do that by, I just email people. I just find people, I'll, I'll Slack support and I'll say, hey, is there anyone you, know, you want to talk to? Or I'll post in our community and I'll say, you know, I'm looking to talk to five customers I use an AppSumo product called TidyCal to schedule those interviews. It's a very easy tool. It's like Calendly, but it's just a one-time purchase. And people will schedule time on my calendar and then I'll just talk to them, just have real conversations. Sometimes I'll even, recently I've been doing this, I'll say, is there anyone else you think I should talk to? And I've gotten some great interviews from that, honestly. So don't be afraid at the end of a good call with, with a user that you think gave really valuable feedback, just to ask that question. But yeah, I think there's many different methods you can use. Um, my, my biggest advice would be really, uh, I'll say three things. One is don't ask leading questions. As an interviewer, like as even on marketing, you know, I think marketers should absolutely be talking to customers. It's very easy to be like, you know, we want to, you know, increase new buyer conversion rate. That's, that's our goal. And so you're, you're asking about that thing and you can ask very leading questions. Would you say you want to give your email on up? You know, like, like that's a leading question. And so you can do your research online about the best. I would just like UX interview questions, but really taking a step back and trying to ask open-ended questions, questions that aren't just a yes or no, but really are more about someone's experience. And number two is, and this comes from, I, I took this course this summer called Continuous Discovery Habits by this woman, Teresa Torres. Great product. Uh, manager and her methodology, she recommends asking story-based, like asking one story-based interview question. So sometimes it can feel like, oh, I have all these questions and you have to get all through all of them. But sometimes the best interviews are you, you, you crystallize really one question. And so if you think about, if you work at Netflix, right, you might ask, can you tell me about the last time you watched Netflix? And it may seem kind of silly, like, but trying to get people in a concrete story. Well, I watched Netflix last night. Okay. And, and the key here is you say, set the scene for me. How did your evening start? And you're really trying to get them to talk about, well, you know, I was making dinner. Oh, what'd you have for dinner? Try to get those details and then try to understand, you know, what, what was the inciting incident that got people to, 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 to flip on Netflix? And, and really keep asking for detail. Okay, wait, wait, take me back. So did, were you already logged in? And then and then you can get that detail. Well, actually, I struggled to log in. Yeah, I had to like get my phone and it was annoying, blah, blah, blah. And then you can really dive in and kind of understand in that moment, in that user experience, how they struggled. So I would say 
the story-based interview questions are, are really key. And then lastly, like it's a conversation, right? And so anytime you contact a customers, it's ties to number one. Often I just did a series of interviews with partners. We were talking about one thing and all of them brought up something else. And so often you just have to let people talk and just listen. And so this is very informative and like is kind of the point. And so we didn't get much user feedback on issue X that we were interviewing about, but we got a ton of really valuable and honestly hard feedback about something else that is going to shape, you know, how we, how we do product development, especially in Q1. Um, and so, yeah, I would say those three things are, are key for talk users. And then just to tie that up, basically what you're looking for is opportunities to drive that outcome that, that customers gave you, right? I struggled to log in. Okay, really understanding that. And then we can iterate on that. And so in a marketing context, I struggled to understand what this was. You know, you, you as a marketer, it can be really hard to hear that, right? Because, well, I worked so hard on that copy, you know, but keeping that defensiveness at bay and just asking more questions. Well, what did you think it was? Or, you know, just trying to, to continue to ask and keep that really neutral party. I, I start all interviews with like, you will not hurt my feelings. Like, please feel free to be honest. And, and I do mean that. Um, and that's where you're going to find those insights that hopefully you can combine and then make a real impact while making people happy, which is like the dream. There's so many golden nuggets there. And one of my favorite things that you mentioned, which I want to bring back to the marketing cocktails as well, even if you already did, is something that we call trigger events. Once again, our students' ears will start now like ringing because you you probably remember trigger events we talked about again in the certification. But if you don't know what a trigger event is, is any kind of event that can trigger that buyer journey that will get them people to commit. So right. that's one of the elements that you mentioned as well that was really interesting is that it can be different type of trigger events. It can be triggering to, again, to usage, to come back, to to any event to sometimes trigger people to leave like and potentially subscribe or cancel something. But trigger events, I think they are very fascinating because what I love about the element of storytelling that you talked about uh, when it comes to understanding your audience's needs and outcomes and problems is that then it paints a picture of what was that trigger and what elements were associated to that trigger. And yeah. maybe you're not expecting to be associated with a trigger. It might be, and it might bring a whole new perspective about something you didn't know about your audience. And I love that idea of being inquisitive, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I would recommend like looking up her stuff. It's, this is product, you know, information, but I think this book is excellent and um, could be really helpful for marketers too. As you think about, I think one of the biggest changes that I have undergone. I feel like my brain has changed moving into product, which is wild, but that's the journey of life, right? Is you're growing and evolving. But the biggest change that for me is like ideas are easy, but hitting outcomes while delivering customer value is hard. And so we're continuously trying to find ways to to do that. And, and, you know, ideas are great and I think they should be collected and, you know, assessed and you can do like impact effort matrices. So you like you know, look with the team and you say, okay, how much impact do we think this would have on this outcome? And then how much effort? And then you, you put those on a sticky, just like basically on a XY axis. And the ideas that are, you know, high impact and low effort, those are often the ones that we end up doing. And honestly, like some of our best ideas in that context, especially for CRO or conversion rate optimization on the site have come from marketers and specifically copywriters on the team people who spend day in and day out looking at our product pages, writing them, optimizing them. Um, they've had some really, really great high impact, low effort ideas that have helped us, you know, hit our outcomes. So I think you just can't, you can't fall in love with an idea too much. You have to be really honest with it. And sometimes it helps to have other teammates there to say, no, that's way more effort than you might think, or especially a developer in the room <laughs> that can say, no, it will require a whole backend rewrite. And you're like, okay, well, <laughs> That's going, that's not, you know, that's not no, no effort. So um, yeah, I would say that's like the biggest change. And I think it, it can really translate to a marketing context as well. It's a thousand percent. And thank you for mentioning that actually, because it's one of the exercises that we get our students to do. And it's literally about auditing together some of the tasks that we do on the day-to-day -day from a marketing perspective, just to even reiterate again, the high impact, low effort, because I'm obsessed with that idea when it comes to prioritization. 
Because let's be honest, we're looking at product and marketing, two teams that are, as you say, positively ridden with ideas constantly. And so yes. actioning can be a problem, especially when you don't have a sounding board or when maybe the sounding board is also very excited. So you don't have really a way to be rational about it and making that decision on what to do and what not to do. So we actually have a similar principle where you will rank your tasks for a specific area of your marketing on a scale of one to five, you will turn impact and you will also do the effort and then you will get an impact ratio. And that will help you understanding what to do for tasks that have a, a lower impact ratio. So this is all stuff that you're already doing, but you can apply the principles, which I love, for things that you want to approach. Because as, as we both mentioned in multiple ways, ideas come and a lot of them can come. And it's about, first of all, deciding what to action next and what to do next. And with that then comes another question just to frame it even more for us. Can you think of an example where, let's say, an initial idea has evolved once this kind of outcome and problem-oriented thinking was applied that we just talked about? Can you think of an example of an idea then shifted because of that? Yes, absolutely. So this was about, yeah, I, I would say like Q3, Q4 last year. It was like the fall of last year. We, for... Months had been getting, I think I would I would call it the top customer feedback was that people wanted a wish list feature. So like save a product to a list. Um, think about like Amazon. And we we were excited to implement that. We worked on it, we put it on the product page and we A B tested it. And unfortunately, like it hurt conversion rate enough that, you know, we couldn't justify proceeding. And that was like a little bit heartbreaking <laughs> because like one, I mean, this was like such an overwhelming amount of user feedback was coming in on this subject. And so felt like, you know, for our users sake, we, we got to get this out. Like, could we just sacrifice a little bit of conversion rate for this? But it was definitely a hard lesson for me in terms of, you know, being a product manager of balancing those outcomes. No, like at least we need to not hurt conversion rate, <laughs> right? Like at least it needs to be insignificant and preferably it would help. And so we sort of sat with it. And we still wanted to, you know, we we're still hearing our users and, and, and caring what they said and, and wanting to deliver that feature. And we went back to our designer and developer. And we said, okay, we have these pieces built. We have wishlist built. How might we repurpose what we have to try a different implementation? And I talked to different mentors. I talked to, you know, my manager and we landed on a save for later element in the cart, which if the user need is like, I don't want to forget about products I've looked at and I want to be notified before a deal ends because I our marketplace like deals end all the time, right? They're kind of limited time deals. And so people would lose deals. Like they have kind of wild names, like software kind of has crazy names. So they, they would lose things and then they would also miss them and they would be gone. So what we did is we used all the elements from wishlist, repurposed those and put it in save for later in cart, which is a UX best practice anyway. So we knew we wanted to have that element, but it would also solve those two user needs. So we tested it there and it, it actually helped conversion rate. It boosted it. And so we were able to proceed with that. So yeah, to answer your question, sometimes it's hard, you know, when you, you lead from the heart, right? Like, I think that's what you're all about is marketing to hearts, you know, not, not brains. And sometimes you just want to give people everything they want. But part of my job is to temper and balance that with obviously like what the business needs and can allow for. And in this case, you know, we ended up having that win, being able to, you know, hit an initiative outcome, um, but also, you know, give, give those, meet those user needs and maybe a little bit different way, but still, you know, it's there. So I was really proud of, of that process and also, that it was lean, right? That we could reuse components and move things around and try again. A lot of this is the first thing failed, <laughs> let's try again. And so uh, being okay with that. And I think one of the hardest things, right, is when something fails, why? Why did it fail? Why is this not working? It should work, right? Like people are asking for this. Why is it not helping them? And so like in that moment, I have to talk to users, right? I have to like get all the data I can from like clarity, like we use clarity to see like heat mapping and click tracking, that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, the backend stuff just to like triangulate and try to figure out like, why did this fail and how can we iterate in a way that will win? And so, yeah, that's, it's fun. It's, it's definitely a challenge, but 
you sort of put together all the pieces you can and try to iterate in the leanest way possible. I think you're actually leaning into an excellent point that we sometimes forget in marketers, which I mentioned once again to our students all the time, which is ask people what they want. That's that's um, that's good to actually end the conversation, ask people what they want, and then look at what they do and look how they behave. And that can tell you so much about marketing as much as it can tell you, literally with the example that you brought us right now about product. And it's such an important lesson because I think it then gives you also that insight again. If I learned one thing in 15 years of marketing experience, thankfully I learned more than one thing. But the one thing that I will have to relearn and that I keep teaching our students again and again is to appreciate that people will tell you what they want and then they will show you actually what they need. And once you understand that, you're also kinder to yourself. You also are a bit more strict with what you should focus on, the impact-effort ratio, and you also are thinking more about, as you say, alternative solutions that can tap into what they want, but also what you need to track when it comes to metrics and growth. And we don't talk about it enough, so I love that you brought it up. And that's also why I want to do a little aside here and say I love so much talking to the product side of marketing or the product side of businesses because there's, it's all about people's behaviors and marketing, in my opinion, humble should be more about understanding how people think and how people work so that you can build relationships and deliver on what you're promising. And that works together with the teams. And that's why today we're talking about everything is so aligned. And that's why actually when you learn a bit more about product and you understand about that and you understand about audience psychology, you can see how it reflects both the audience that is not your customer yet and also your new customer, your turning customers and so on. Uh, one note I want to make, because we're coming out of time, if you have any questions, please pop them in the chat or in our Q&A box. We'll keep an eye out and I'll make sure that I ask them. One more note that I wanted to make though myself was a point that you may think about and I want to hear your opinion because you mentioned the use of chat GPT and I want to go back to the marketing aspect of understanding user behaviors. And, you know, we talked about review mining, which uh, maybe I'll let you explain that as well before you answer the question. But even if I'm doing some review mining or I'm going to start by saying that it involves audience research and user research as well, and then we'll get a bit deeper into it. But even when I'm doing user research or when I'm just taking what I know from my audience, we tend to use, or I personally tend to use ChatGPT a lot as that research assistant. So that if I'm shifting through a lot of data, it can help me actually summarize the data and how I you know, define patterns. And I'm not a product manager. But I still need to understand what my audience loves, whether I use it in marketing for new customers or just loyalty or just to highlight some of the things we've done. So I've found that that has been really interesting for me, who doesn't have an extra two or three people in the team to hand over the product side of things or to find the intersection. And I wanted to mention that because it came to mind when you talked about it earlier. Now we talked about understanding our users and interviews as well and stuff like this. That's how I use it. It's really, really helpful for me when it comes to summarizing kind of defining that data and just outlining the things I really need to know. How how do you use it in this context? You know, not necessarily with everything, but I think it would be interesting from this perspective of helping you, whether it's make it faster or refine or identify patterns. Do you use it in some of these ways? Yes or no? I think it would be an interesting element of the conversation I just wanted to bring up. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up. I think the other like sneaky benefit of using ChatGPT for User feedback is like eliminating bias. I mean, biases might be introduced by ChatGPT, but I think it can keep you honest. Uh, And so again, if you have in your mind thing X and you're really trying to mine for that, but all the feedback says Y, if you plug all that feedback into ChatGPT, it's going to give you Y. Like, and so that can help you, you know, as a researcher to say, hey, I think, you know, we're kind of off base is actually what people are talking about and keep you honest. So yeah, definitely like, recently, you know, released a new feature, got some negative feedback. So I just copied all that, plugged it in and said, like, basically give me the top three, you know, things that users are saying. And so that was really helpful. Sent that to our product designer. And then I could kind of go back and forth with her on here's, you know, here's what the users are saying. Here's the quick, you know, analysis of that. You know, where should we go? What do you think we should work on and focus on and kind of um, letting her, you know, do that, do that work to, to, you know, change things with that feature. So yes, absolutely. And then the other thing you mentioned is review mining. This is a very similar idea, but like good prop design, right? You get like, I I was thinking about this the other day, I was talking to a developer and he was like, 
you have such great ideas. Like it's been great. And I'm like, to be honest, all of them come from users. <laughs> like I talk to people, they have the ideas, like they plant seeds that, like you said, it might not be exactly, you know, what they, what they said, but understanding that underlying need, reframing it as a user, I want X so that Y, like reframing it that way can really just unlock so, so much. And so review mining is the process of, of if you're writing about, say you're writing about a basketball on Amazon, right? And you go look at that basketball on Amazon, you look at the reviews and you can, you know, scrape them or just um, at least be looking at them, kind of understanding. I bought this for my son and we spent so much time together playing basketball on Christmas day. And it was one of my favorite memories. Like, whoa, that's, there's emotion there, right? There's, it's not a basketball, it's time with your son, right? It's a memory, make, make your best memories, like spend quality time with your kids, get exercise, you know, whatever it is, it's like, it's not the basketball, it's never the basketball, it's never a software on AppSumo, it's, you know, making money in your business or saving costs or, you know, really feeling like you're on a cutting edge as a solopreneur and being able to compete with the big dogs because you have this really cool cutting edge software for, you know, much less cost. And so whatever it is, however niche, you know, AppSumo is <laughs> a very niche thing, but um, it's never basketball, right? It's always about something else. And so trying to tap into that and really push yourself. You have to just push yourself to to get there and not write about the basketball, right? Like it's so hard. And it's so, because you're just like, I'm writing about a basketball. Like, let me keep writing about a basketball, but no, you know. That's a great example. And it goes back to jobs to be done as, as a framework as well that sometimes we think about and we talked about in some of our podcast episodes as well. So make sure that I put the links to those as well, especially when actually with Ramley Jones that came out and also with Amanda Natividad as well, uh, because I absolutely love that conversation. And even with, I'm going to throw another name, Kate Lindbergh as well. So all of that, we talked about it because it's just really understanding our audience better and I love that kind of example of how we go from a basketball all the way to spending time with our loved ones or kind of creating quality time with our people. I want to mention one more thing and then I have one final question unless I see anything popping up in the chat like a simple kind of final question. Um, one more thing I wanted to mention to which uh, which we use ourselves and I absolutely love is called freaking I'm not going to swear today or should I? Fuck it. Fucking fast buyer insights that's the name of the thing so um, from Louise Grenier and we use it ourselves and it's a great tool. It's kind of like literally a sheet that integrates with ChatGPT or OpenAI, sorry, I should say. And what it does, it actually helps you take in all of the reviews and all of the ideas that you have and it actually builds that data for you. So it's a bit like usually prompting, but it's a bit more refined and it's done a bit more in bulk. And in, there requires a bit of setup, but it's been so interesting. I tested it with myself. I tested it with some of my clients. So literally getting their reviews from people, testimonials, what they say, and then it translates it into points that you can use yourself. So you can do it all semi-manually, obviously with places like ChatGPT and so, but I do recommend that as a tool as well. So make sure that you can find it as well. If you want to check it out, you can just check all the links where all the links live. Uh, I'll make sure that I put that in there as well. My final question for you was a bit of a send off and I'm going to go again off piece. Yes, this is a theme, everybody. Uh, but within reason, you talked about learning a lot this year as well, you know, taking a new course and learning more about the topic, putting ourselves with our little prediction hats on. I love a good hat. So prediction hat on, what do you think would be a shift or a change or something that either goes better or that just we stop doing in 2024 when it comes to the approach to building products? and to build in products for our audiences. How do you see that happening, whether it's for ourselves in your team? I'm sure everybody already talked about Q1 in 2024, whether it's something that you've seen from just learning from others. What do you think is that one thing that comes to hand? Yeah, I think that's such a good question. I mean, for me, it's it's undeniably the impact of AI in terms of, you know, with marketing and writing, right? It's sped us up so much, but that's this, like even more, I would say, for developers. It It's just... Like every day we're sort of getting a new update. I mean, we, we all know how it feels. So I would say, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see how, you know, that helps us move faster. I think that will hopefully give us more time to focus on that user research and to focus on things like continuous discovery where we have an outcome and, and we're continuously talking to customers to try to understand, you know, how to 
how to build things that matter to them and help us hit that outcome. So that's what I'm hoping, obviously, is like, I think it's all tied into this conversation. It's like, if we don't have so much busy work with, you know, the synthesis of uh, reviews or, or user research, maybe we can focus even more on that that quality and that next step, the thing that, you know, humans are best at, right? So I think it's really, it is just for myself, really pushing myself to not make assumptions and to, you know, I, I understand that, you know, as a, as a business, we're rolling something out, but um, how might we make this truly, you know, delightful for people? And yeah, I think, I think just staying really in tune with what's, what's happening in AI and, and using that to best your ability is, is crucial, you know, now more than ever. So yeah, I would say, yeah, I mean, it's, I, it's probably a cliche, but like it's, it's happening so real that it, it has to be. No, I agree. I agree that it's important that we break it up as well, because I, when I was listening to another talk today and, you know, the people were asking, so how do we, you know, how do we make it better? How do we make our relationship with AI better as marketers, but you can apply to any area. And it, I think it's genuinely more conversations and talks and more discussion, even if this is not a whole talk about AI, wasn't it? But we mentioned that within the realm of what we're doing and some of the things that we're using. And I think it's just understanding you know, how as real people were evolving from some people still would not want to use it at all, which is obviously totally understandable. And the people that are using it in different ways, being open to talk about how they're using it so that once again, we can understand how to use it better without having the conversations, without the educational piece and without the inspiration from others. We don't feel like we have a safe space to then make it ours or even then evolve with it. So I think it's so important that we recognize that it's going to be more talked about and just kind of integrated with what we do in a way that still keeps the human. And as we say, saves that time and makes things more efficient uh, in whichever way we want to. So thank you so much. Please team, if you're alive, give a little, like some claps. We know that that's kind of what we live for. Thank you. Thank you very much. Sorry, Beth, we're showing you with claps. If people want to find out more about you, just remind us again where they can go before we close off today's chat. Yeah, I would say LinkedIn is the best place um, to I'm kind of avoiding all of their social media. I just got to like save my brain. So um, yeah, LinkedIn would be great. And I would love to hear from you if you have like specific, you know, feedback or thoughts on this conversation or questions on anything, career stuff, like, you know, moving from product marketing, freelance to in-house, like what, you know, all that. I'm happy to, to help. So, and lastly, also not being afraid of AI. I think that that's like this, the context here, maybe the heart is like, it's, it's a scary time. Like I'm married to a copywriter, right? So all of a sudden we were like, is this going to go away? And I think, you know, we're all in this together and I think not being afraid of it, but like using it for that efficiency and then really being your best human self, you know, and doing that work to, to help other people as well. So yeah, if you want to talk about that, I would love to talk about that as well. So then this is a great way to actually segue to our send-off thank you so much for watching live if you tune into the replay or you listen back to this once again hello and welcome this is a great reminder actually to be kind to yourself and others yes right before the holiday season and remember we talk about it a lot but true marketing speaks to hearts not just to minds and until next time class dismissed mm -hmm.